Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, not one but two big movies are debuting this weekend. What have we got, Jeff Braun? I'll review one of those movies coming to America too, and we'll also break down the Golden Globes and what it might mean for the Oscars. I'll also give you my verdict on Netflix's bizarre show Behind Her Eyes and Lord of the Rings in glorious 4K. But first, new on Amazon Prime Video this weekend, a sequel to a comedy classic from the 80s, Eddie Murphy stars in Coming to America 2. Hey! What are you doing back here? Mufasa! <laughs> Say it again! Feel right in his I've just discovered that I may have a son here in this land. How much child support is she getting from? The king pays no child support. No child support for 30 years and you came back? You was a dummy! <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I am Hakim Jaffer, King of Zamunda. You are the heir to the throne. Yes, my son. He's supposed to be like the prince of Wakanda. Wakanda is a fictional place. Not to everybody. Zamunda is a very real nation. I don't need no handout. Wait a minute. Hey, I'm gonna pack. Okay, baby. <laughs> The title is technically coming to America with a two in the middle instead of the word two as the original's movie title had. So for radio, both titles sound the same, which is why we'll be calling this one coming to America too. The broad stroke review for this, pretty simple. The movie... Pretty good, but not as good as the original. That will not be a surprise to anyone because the number of sequels that are better than the original is a number you can probably count on one hand. The first Coming to America came out in 1988 that saw Eddie Murphy as Akeem, the prince of a fictional African country called Zamunda. He travels to Queens, New York to look for love, so he doesn't have to go through with an arranged marriage back home. He's accompanied by his right-hand man, Semi, played by Arsenio Hall. They take jobs at a fast food joint and Akeem falls in love with the owner's daughter who is to be married to a loathsome brute. He was played by ER's Eric LaSalle and he left quite an impression on the couch because of his ridiculous hair product. That's the first thing I think of when I think of that movie. I rewatched the original, I think, two years ago at Christmas time. After seeing it several times, of course, after it originally came to home video when I was a teen. Good stuff. Not my favorite Eddie Murphy, but solidly in the middle somewhere. Again, for me, I do realize it's number one for quite a few people. Now, those people may be a little disappointed with this sequel. It starts strong. It finishes strong. But there is a sag in the middle, not because of the story or anything like that necessarily, but because of the lack of Eddie. Like a lot of sequels, this movie mirrors the original in many ways. Instead of Akeem from Zamunda finding love in New York, this movie is about his son Lavelle from New York finding love in Zamunda. In fact, Lavelle is really the co-lead with Murphy in this movie, and he gets the lion's share of the screen time in the middle section, quite literally, as a scene with a lion plays a big part in the plot. The movie starts with Murphy's Akeem at home in Zamunda, celebrating 30 years of marriage to Lisa, his love interest from that first movie. And let me say right here that most of this cast has aged beautifully, like alarmingly so, and Cherry Headley, who plays Lisa, is probably at the top of the list, with Arsenio finishing a strong second. Akeem and Lisa have three daughters, but no son, and in the old customs of their kingdom, that is going to be a succession issue down the line, as the country is supposed to have a king, but Akeem has no son. Or does he? He finds out while he was in Queens, before he met Lisa, he actually hooked up with a lady played by Leslie Jones, and she had his son. I won't give any more details than that because 
the flashback is one of the highlights of the movie. So he has his son in New York he didn't know about. He goes to get him, bring him to Zamunda. The plan is the son will marry the daughter of the military dictator who rules the neighboring country in an effort to keep the peace. That dictator, by the way, is played by Wesley Snipes, who brings his weird snipey energy into the movie in a very welcome way. It's fun crazy. Now, as we know from the first movie, arranged marriages not popular amongst the people being arranged. The son falls for another woman. Complications ensue. All this while Lavelle and his mom adjust to life on the Serengeti. Jermaine Fowler plays Lavelle. I've never seen this kid before, but he is more than up to the task here. He shoulders half the movie, really. Half an Eddie Murphy movie, in fact, where you sort of wish Eddie would take center stage more often. But I was still interested in the movie regardless. Not an easy job, so big kudos to Fowler for keeping the movie on his shoulders like that through the middle. The smaller roles, all well cast. They're excellent. They provide a lot of the laughs. I love Leslie Jones. I just think she's hilarious all the time. Tracy Morgan plays Lavelle's uncle. He's always weird and funny. Some other SNL cast members, new and old, show up and make their mark. Colin Jost, for example, has a terrific scene. The main draw, though, there are buckets and buckets of callbacks and cameos, some in such quick succession your jaw will drop. And of course, Murphy and Arsenio are playing multiple roles again. The barbershop crew is back, as are some of their other characters. It does make you wish they'd done a trilogy at the time or a quick sequel to get more of this story out there. But mostly I was just so glad to see Eddie Murphy back in something fun and funny. He ruled the 80s and, you know, his downward spiral in the the 2000s is one of the most depressing uh, career turns I can think of for any movie star. I do wish the movie had a few more laughs in it. It's especially noticeable right at the end. They have bloopers in the credits that are funnier than a lot of the jokes in the movie itself. And watch the very end, of course. There is a scene after that last credit rolls. Overall, it is a pretty decent sequel as far as unnecessary sequels go. It's a little bloated. It's not as funny as I'd hoped, but it is definitely worth checking out. It is free on Amazon Prime Video as of this weekend. Three couch cushions out of five for Coming to America 2. Also out this weekend on the movie front from Disney, Raya and the Last Dragon. On March 5th. How did this world get so broken? I believe that we can be unified again, but someone has to take the first step. All right, Tuk Tuk. Let's roll! From the studio that brought you Frozen. Hold on. <laughs> oh, we were doing a jumpy thing. Oh, so sorry, my bad. Raya and the Last Dragon. Rated PG in theaters or order it on Disney Plus with premiere access March 5th. Raya and the Last Dragon, by the way, is not to be confused with what you're listening to right now. <laughs> the 1985 martial arts musical film, The Last Dragon, which I loved when I was eight years old. But if I were to watch it now, it might very well be terrible. But anyway, any excuse to get this music on the air. Raya and the Last Dragon is being released in theaters where applicable and is also available for purchase slash rent through Disney Plus, and I'll give you the price tag on that in a minute. As is always almost the case with animated movies from Disney, this one is just getting amazing reviews, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Here's the synopsis from Disney. Raya and the Last Dragon travels to the fantasy world of Kumandra, where humans and dragons lived together long ago in harmony 
But when an evil force threatened the land, the dragons sacrificed themselves to save humanity. Now, 500 years later, that same evil has returned, and it's up to the lone warrior, Raya, to track down the legendary last dragon to restore the fractured land and its divided people. However, along her journey, she'll learn that it'll take more than a dragon to save the world. It's going to take trust and teamwork as well. Raya and the Last Dragon features the voices of Kelly Marie Tran as Raya, a warrior whose wit is as sharp as her blade, and Aquafina as the magical, mythical, self-deprecating dragon named Sisu. Now, the price tag. If you want to watch this through Disney+, Plus, so that's if you're already a subscriber, you're already paying for Disney+, Plus. It's an extra 35 bucks, same as they did for Milan back in September. But you then have unlimited access, unlimited views to this movie. If you don't want to pay the extra, you just want to wait until it's just there as part of Disney+, Plus. June 4th is the date for which you will have to wait. So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pay the cash. I'm just going to wait because... And this is going to get annoying. It probably already is annoying. <laughs> but the whole 4K yeah. thing, like I have a lot of movies I need to watch and rewatch. Oh. And I yeah, completely yeah. forgot about the, the cartoons. All Like Wally, my favorite Disney Pixar movie ever, is on Disney Plus and it's in 4K. So I got to go back and watch all of those movies again because, quite frankly, there's almost nothing that looks better than these animated movies on a big screen. And I've got a fairly big screen at home, so I'm excited about that. So there you go. Two big movies out this weekend. In a moment, got to tell you about... I just need to follow up on that show that I started to review last week from Netflix, Behind Her Eyes. It takes a weird, weird turn. Details in a moment. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. A follow-up now on a show that I started to review last week, which I have now watched in full... My initially optimistic appraisal has now taken a hard turn. It's a six-episode limited series that debuted on Wednesday, February 17th on Netflix, and it's been in the top ten ever since. It's called Behind Her Eyes. We all like to think we're in control of our own destiny. So much of our lives are shaped by other people. You need to learn to control your dreams, Louise. You and me, we're special. You always knew things. Once you start, some things can never be taken back. Maybe you engineered this. You said this was a fresh start. Now tell me before I start screaming. As I told you last week, at the time, I had only watched the first episode, but I was hooked immediately, largely because... All three of the main characters have amazing screen presence, charisma, and mystery. Just I know, I've never seen any of these actors, but they're all tremendous. That opinion of this show has since changed very much. Quick uh, recap of what it's about. Louise is a single mom. She works as an assistant in a psychiatrist's office. David is the new psychiatrist to the office. And Adele is his wife, who is the source of the greatest mystery. But they've all got something going on in their background. We also end up meeting Rob, who is a friend from Adele's past, who is just as good as the other actors at bringing his character to life. The reviews for this have not been kind. 58% on Rotten Tomatoes, with many saying the ending is just ridiculous. So that's part of the reason why I wanted to watch it and see it through, because I like that first episode so much. I thought, 
really? Like, is it can't be that bad, can it? So I was just determined to find this better than that, that mark, 58%. But as it turns out, I just can't. I cannot. In fact, I don't think I've ever had such mixed emotions about a show. The acting, I will say, remains tremendous through the show. I was so invested in all four of those primary characters, Louise, Adele, David, and Rob. But, and I would also point out, this would make more sense if I gave you spoilers and explained what happens in the show, but I'm not going to do that because I've talked to a lot of people who have said, well, you know what? In spite of the fact that you, you had these negative things to say, I'm, I'm so intrigued now. I almost feel like I have to watch it. And because it's only six episodes, it's not that big of an investment of your time. This is a show. Part of the reason why I'm irked here is this is a show that marketed, marketed itself as one thing. And it was that thing for the first three episodes being like a sexy relationship psychological drama but then in the fourth episode it starts to take this weird turn and you can see it happening like literally see it happening there's a visual effect that comes on screen just a hint of one and you go oh man is this what i think it is and then that becomes a really stupid turn that ends up being so audaciously stupid i almost want to salute it almost the problem was it uh as, as dumb as the twist, um, you mentioned recently you watched that movie Serenity with uh, Matthew McConaughey. Oh, God. And that's a movie that markets itself as one thing and turns out to be something else and takes a very, what I thought was a really stupid turn. So is this like on that level? Uh, I, I guess kind of, yeah. That was weird, by but the way. Say. That Serenity yeah. movie, that was weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did, <laughs> did you watch that recently? Um, I no, it was about a year ago. It was okay. shortly after it came out. I think okay. not in theaters or anything like that. But yeah, I did not expect that turn at all in Serenity, and I didn't expect that in this movie either. The problem here is it felt like watching two completely different shows. Like I don't mind the twist on its own. In fact, it's kind of neat, and I'll even say the ending really packs a punch. It's just that it veered so far off the path I was expecting it to go down. Like I said, I wanted this sexy psychological relationship show, but it just ended up being something entirely different, almost bordering on horror sci-fi, which is ludicrous because a show has to establish, I think, a show has to establish the kind of world that it lives in right from the start. Otherwise, you just end up ripping off the viewer. Now, sometimes those weird turns work. Like, do you remember from Don, from Dust Till Dawn with uh, George Clooney? I didn't see it. I didn't see it, but I know what the deal is about it. I know all the plot of that movie. Yeah, George Clooney, Quentin Tarantino, they play two bad guys on the run. They hijack a family RV. It's kind of slow and creepy and methodical. And then out of nowhere, stripper vampires, because why not? (laughs) It was so insane that it worked. The insane twist here would have maybe worked if it was goofy, but it takes itself quite seriously. So I just, I can't in good conscience recommend this show because I feel ripped off. So I'm going to give it two and a half couch cushions out of five based on the characters and the acting. They're great. And it's got great dialogue, but in the end, it just felt like more like I was watching The Twilight Zone. If that's what you would have sold me to begin with, okay, I'm on board. That's not what they sold, so I'm annoyed. Only watch this if you are in the mood for something completely bonkers. I will give it this. It is definitely a memorable show, regardless of how you feel about it in the end. I will tell you that next week I'll have a review of a show on Prime called Tell Me Your Secrets, because when I posted about 
this show, Behind Her Eyes, a lot of people were saying, hey, you should check out Tell Me Your Secrets. It's a 10-episode show starring Lily Rabe, and it's about a trio of characters, each with a mysterious and troubling past. Emma is a woman who once looked into the eyes of a dangerous killer. John is a former serial predator, desperate to find redemption. And Mary is a grieving mother, obsessed with finding her missing daughter. As each of them is pushed to the edge, the truth about their pasts and motives grows even murkier, blurring the lines between victim and perpetrator. I watched four episodes, one, two, three, four. I would have watched the fifth, but I remembered the Vikings series finale was on, so I'll have that finished by this weekend. I'll tell you about it next weekend. By the way, that Vikings series finale, it kind of limped into the finish line, I felt like. It just sort of, I don't know. It, it wasn't exciting. It was kind of, it was very much reflective and and soothing almost, like weirdly soothing, which is not what I'm used to from Vikings, but maybe yeah. that was the point. They wanted to end on this very calm, serene note uh but vikings uh, on its own a tremendous spectacular achievement that you can watch for the most part on netflix up next one ring to rule them all in 4k baby you're listening to the couch potatoes i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes as i mentioned last week i got my hands on lord of the rings in 4k blu-ray it was just released in december and when I bought my new television, I had to get my hands on some LOTR. So here we go. I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of man fails. When we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. Whatever happens, stay with me. This day! We fight! So part of the reason why I bought this on the 4K Blu-ray is because it's not available for streaming, I think, anywhere, uh, especially in 4K. And and it actually wasn't all that much. It was, I think, 100 bucks. I ordered it on Amazon, and I got it like two days later. And boy, am I glad I did this, because one thing that I noticed uh, immediately, I also actually bought... Pacific Rim on 4K Blu-ray. I just recently watched that on Netflix, but the difference because you might wonder do I need to, or why should I buy a physical disc when you can stream almost anything you want I could have rented Lord of the Rings for five bucks, I'm sure, but I wanted to have my own copy of it but the difference that you notice in streaming in particular is the sound there's just, it sounds so much beefier the, like my subwoofer, I thought it was broken or like it was losing its potency watching everything on streaming. And then I pop in this Blu-ray and it almost exploded. And that's what you get when you watch a disc. It's just, it's got way more raw instant a- data and inset, or instant access to that data. So the picture, I'm not an expert on like being able to, to spot the little specific differences between 4K streaming and and 4K on Blu-ray, but uh, you don't need to be an expert to notice that the sound is remarkably better. Um, And one of the interesting things as well with this, and, and I learned this by watching, I just found this comparison video on YouTube that compared the DVD to the theatrical Blu-ray to the extended cut Blu-ray to the 4K and 
the extended cut of Fellowship of the Ring on Blu-ray, I guess had they added this kind of washed out sort of greenish tint to it. And I had forgotten that it wasn't there before that because it had been so long. It's been 10 years since I've watched any other version than that Blu-ray. Can't believe it's been 10 years, by the way, since that's been out already. But because it wasn't on the extended DVD, according to this video, and I, I don't remember what it looked like in theater. But then when it, so they've got, I don't know why they did it. They, they say it was on purpose. They got rid of that. And it felt like I was watching this movie again for the first time. I think the, the biggest difference that you see in this 4K is light. Actually, It actually feels like you're looking at real light. Like when there's sunlight on the screen or there's sunlight sort of like when someone's face is under the sun. It feels like you're looking at them outside, that you're not watching them on TV. It still looks like you're watching a film, but it also looks like you're looking through a window. It's just the the the, the recreation of colors and light is it's almost jarring, and it's it's kind of wonderful, actually. There were also a couple of scenes where I had to manually turn down the brightness. That scene in the, the Mines of Moria where Gimli runs into... Balin's tomb. Yeah, uh, there, there's that single oh, ray the of, beam light. of light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it like was so so bright. So I'm still tweaking the settings on my TV. I found one that helped a little bit. It was like a contrast enhancer, and so I guess it like it stretched the gap between the brights and the darks. So now they they're a bit closer. But that's another thing with a 4K. The the brights are brighter and the darks are darker and deeper. Which is great. I mean, you get the color rep, the color recreation is so so good. So, and the other thing I was hoping to notice, but I didn't really notice, which means they did a really good job and a really subtle job because I mentioned that they had gone in and redone some of the visual effects. Or not redone, but they they fixed them up. They cleaned up some of the visual effects because they said they don't really hold up in 4K, but. I don't know which ones they cleaned up because it was seamless. So even though these movies are 20 years old now, they they look like they could have been made today. Like they they still hold up so so well. So I was just so happy to have this and it made me go I now I need to get the Matrix trilogy because the Matrix trilogy is available on Netflix, but once I saw just how good it was. It was actually a good reminder because I used to buy Blu-rays all the time, but then everything started to become available on streaming, and I thought, well, what do I need this for? This is why. It's because if you really, really love a movie and you want the best quality, you want the best picture, you want the best sound, I recommend still getting the disc. So I have now purchased The Matrix Trilogy. I'll be going through that this weekend, and I might have to get myself back to the future and maybe the Star Wars movies and <sighs> perhaps one day the Infinity Saga of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which will cost me, I think, $600 for that set. <laughs> so <laughs> that imagine. might be something I'll wait for down the road. But you posted a poll about trilogies. Yeah, yeah well, you mentioned Lord of the Rings trilogy. We were thinking, of, we were just thinking about trilogies and that sort of thing. So yesterday on Twitter, I just decided, uh, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure Star Wars is going to win. Let's see what happens. And I just wrote out which is the best trilogy. And the options were the original Star Wars, the Lord of the Rings, and Back to the Future. And Star Wars did win, but I was expecting like, 
it to have like 80% of the vote. It had 43. Lord of the Rings had 31 and Back to the Future had 26. And that was from a, mm. a few dozen votes kind of thing or whatever. So that was a lot closer than I was expecting. But of, of course, Star Wars still comes out on top. It's always going to win any, you know, vote or poll, I think, in that regard. But for me, I if I was pitching a vote in, I would have picked Lord of the Rings, I think. It's just... To me, it's just perfect. Yeah, that, I, I I saw that poll and I voted for Lord of the Rings. As much as I love the Star Wars movies, yeah, uh, and particularly that trilogy, it, it's really not. I guess I, I'm being kind of nitpicky here, but it, it's it, it's more of a part of a nine movie saga, right? Whereas this is just three movies and it's done, so it's sort of a true yeah. trilogy. But I, I I of course start that 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 particular trio of Star Wars movies is the defining trio of the the whole saga. Right. And for me, the Lord of the Rings is that's also I mean, especially over Star Wars, LOTR's got all the heart and emotion. You know what I mean, like. You cry a bunch of times during the Lord of the Rings films. You never cry during a Star Wars movie. That's a good point. That's a good point. I found myself in tears once again during several scenes, including I played that music from the charge of the Rohirrim when they arrive at uh, the fields of Pelennor. Or did I say Pelennor? Pelennor. Yeah, I should know that. I've only seen the movie like a hundred times. In Return of the King. Yeah, that one? and when they yeah, yeah. when they when Theoden gives his big speech and they march to their what they thought was potentially their doom, as it turned out, they marched temporarily to victory. I just find that so it's so emotional. There's just so much valor. You know, they're just throwing yeah. themselves at thousands and thousands of these beasts, uh, and they're doing it just for honor and valor. And it just it it's such a powerful scene and seeing like six thousand riders. Oh. Yeah, it just it brings it it overwhelms me with emotion. I love it, and uh, uh, I will point out. I should also point out as well. No special features on the 4K set, so don't get rid of your Blu-rays entirely. Oh, they don't have the appendices and all that. No, no. Hmm. It's probably Who's because got time to watch that stuff anymore. I know. When's the last time I haven't watched a special feature on a Blu-ray in probably a decade? And when those first DVDs of the extended editions, A Lord of the Rings came out, I watched like all four hours of documentaries that I watched multiple, multiple commentaries. I really dug into that, but uh, I don't do that stuff anymore. No, I don't either. And it's probably because we now have instant access to so much more content, right? Like when those DVDs came out, we didn't have stuff like YouTube or Netflix or any of that stuff. So if we wanted content, we had to just watch the discs. 20 channels and a blockbuster card and that was it yeah so that's one of the reasons why i don't watch that stuff anymore is because i've just got too much other stuff to watch and a lot of that stuff you can find very quickly online or at least find chunks of it online but uh, i think part of the reason why i stopped watching special features as well as lord of the rings did theirs so well that everything else i watched after that paled in comparison, there are very few movies that have as good as special features. I know that documentary that's on the Jaws is one of the best things, one of the best special yep. features ever. That's true. And I'll watch that. I'll watch just that documentary once every couple of years. So there, there are a few things that are really good like that. And so, yeah, it's not totally dead, but by and large, like, I don't need a 90-minute, you know, m- making of We're the Millers or something like that. <laughs> okay, well, why don't we talk more <laughs> about trilogies next week? Maybe we can go sure. through uh, our our favorites or maybe uh, 
ones that could have been your favorites. Like I, I still, I lo- the Matrix is my favorite movie. I ordered the trilogy. I still have affection for the second and third ones, even though, like one of my buddies said, "Oh, you bought the trilogy, hey? I hope you uh, promptly place the second and third movies in the garbage where they belong." Yeah, there's a there's like categories like that's in the same category as the Godfather trilogy where two of the three are masterpieces and then the third one's not very good, you know? Yeah. And then there's other, you know, categories, something like uh, Indiana Jones where you have a good trilogy, then you add a fourth movie and ruin it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, what do they call that? Nuked the Fridge? Is that, was that what They tried to make that the new Jump the Shark? Oh, Nuke the Fridge. Hey, that's good. I don't think I'd heard that before. Really? Yeah, yeah. He threw himself into the fridge as the, the bomb right. went off. Uh, okay. In a moment. It's still only like the fifth most ridiculous thing in a Indiana Jones movie, but whatever. What was the worst one? The Shia LaBeouf thing is swinging, swinging through the trees with the monkeys? Pulling a beating heart out of a chest uh, in the second movie. Ah! Oh! That's kind of ridiculous, isn't I- it? Well, I kind of, I don't know. The heart I, keeps feeding. It, well, that was part of the, that was part of the magic. It was part of the dark <laughs> magic. It was scary. That really scared me when I was a kid. And it's still kind of creepy. Kalima. Kalima Shakti Day. In a moment. Melty face Nazis in the first one also creepy. <laughs> in a moment, we're going to talk about the Golden Globes and the whole Zoom of it all. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and the Golden Globe Awards were handed out last weekend and one TV show dominated. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association really likes The Crown. Perhaps that's precisely what this country needs. The Netflix series won Best Drama at the Golden Globe Sunday night, the second time it's won the top prize, and it scored three acting wins. All I want is to be loved. Best Actress for Emma Corrin, who played Princess Diana, Best Actor for Josh O'Connor, who played Prince Charles, and Best Supporting Actor for Gillian Anderson as Margaret Thatcher. Your Majesty. Last time she won a Golden Globe 24 years ago for The X-Files. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. Schitt's Creek won Best Comedy with Catherine O'Hara winning Best Actress, while The Queen's Gambit won Best Limited Series, Anya Taylor-Joy winning Best Actress there. I think all those wins were in line with expectations. Other TV awards went to Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso, Johnny Boyega for Small Axe, and Mark Ruffalo for I Know This Much Is True. On the movie side of things, Best Drama went to Nomadland, and its director Chloe Zhang also won, putting that movie as the frontrunner for the Oscars. Best Comedy or Musical went to Borat Two, Sasha Baron Cohen won Best Actor in a Comedy for that and became the only person ever to win two Golden Globes for playing the same role. The late, great Chadwick Boseman, Best Actor in a Drama for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Andrew Day won Best Actress in a Drama for the United States versus Billie Holiday. And the Comedy Musical Award went to Rosamund Pike for I Care A Lot. Best Supporting Actor, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, and supporting actress was Jodie Foster in The Mauritanian. A few thoughts. First of all, I Care A Lot does not deserve to win awards, yet Rosamund Pike deserves every award she gets, so that one didn't really bother me, even though I don't think that movie's really that worth, worth it to that degree. But the show, I thought it was just boring. There was no atmosphere because it was all on Zoom, which is, you know, the atmosphere is sort of the draw for the Golden Globes because people sit at tables, they have some drinks, it's more relaxed, you you get better reactions from people. And I think I'm just done with the Zoom stuff, Brett. I hope the Oscar nominations 
come with a vaccine shot for the nominees so they can all go in person or something. I don't know. Seeing people dress down, that's sort of fun, but I'd rather see movie stars, you know, dressing up. I think that's better. Also, when you get someone like Joaquin Phoenix, who clearly doesn't want to be there, don't ask him to come. No one benefits. Although uh, he was there at the end of the show. And by that time, I sort of enjoyed his weird energy, but it still just comes off as Bush League. You would think it would be easy enough to find some movie stars that want to participate in an award show. It's sort of hard getting into the spirit of any of these shows this year. I think they're not they're not really important anyways, period. But we follow this stuff and usually I can get behind a few of the movies and I have something to root for. This year, haven't seen most of them yet. Couldn't really care less. To be fair, a lot of them aren't out yet. That Nomadland will be available on Disney Plus Star in about a month from now. So that will be there for us a few weeks before the Oscars, which are at the end of April this year. Several other movies are all out already as well, like uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That's on Netflix. And I do intend to watch all the Oscar Best Picture nominees like I usually do, Brett, but I'm not watching anything until the nominations come out so I know what to watch because these movies tend to be really heavy and I just haven't been in the mood for that the last couple of months. I mean, slogging through the long Canadian winter is tough enough in a normal year. Arty movies, they can really help with that, although that usually involves a trip to the theater. It's a, it's an event. It's an evening out, that sort of thing. Sitting on my couch, uh, I'm almost always going to opt for something a little more light and fun. What, what did you think of the Golden Globes? Overall, I thought the awards were interesting at the very least. It was I thought it was kind of neat to see all of the movie stars in their own normal domain, sort of like normal people. Usually we all see them dressed all beautiful. Yeah. In this instance, we see Jeff Daniels. It looks like he's renting a room in his buddy's basement. The bed's <laughs> half made. There's nothing on the walls. Bill Murray's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Jason Sudeikis is wearing this tie-dye hoodie, and he was completely flabbergasted with his victory. I think he was just genuinely floored that he won. But another problem is I, I haven't heard of half of these things like the fact that Nomadland isn't going to be available in Canada until April, um, I don't know. It just it adds to the fr- the ongoing frustration that gets associated with these awards shows. But hey, that's all the time we've got. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Mm-hmm.